the very last book of the Old Testament. In the last chapter, in the last two verses, we read of the coming of a prophet like Elijah. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. After these words are written, there are 400 years of silence from heaven. For 400 years, Israel waited to hear from God again. They were waiting for God's prophet, and then suddenly it happened. A prophet appeared in the desert. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Then Jesus himself identifies John as the Elijah written about in Malachi. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. This is the most momentous announcement from heaven in 400 years. What does this mean? Well, good morning, everybody. And we're so excited about our Christmas series this year. We started far earlier than we usually do. But how many know that, uh, that Christmas is the greatest celebration? It is, uh, it is the announcement of the coming of the Messiah. But it's interesting when you go to the stores, isn't it, what you will see. And this is a picture of the shelves at Home Depot. And uh, these are Christmas decorations. You are going to see Frosty the Snowman. You'll see Big Bird. You'll see the Christmas Cookie Monster. You will see Christmas Snoopy, Christmas Yoda, Christmas Santa Claus. You'll even see the Christmas Abominable Snowman. You'll see the Christmas Almo, Rudolph, a flamingo, a dog, a lamb, trees, deer. And you'll see some stars and an angel. And about the only thing that has anything to do with Christmas there is the star and the angel. Now... We don't often get Christmas right. We don't understand the story. At least we leave out significant parts. This morning, I want to read to you a passage of Scripture that I am 99.9% .9 sure that you have never heard before at Christmas time. I want to read to you from the book of Malachi. If you have your Bibles, turn them, please, to Malachi. You wonder where Malachi is. It's, it's right before the book of Matthew. Malachi, we're looking at chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Now, before I read them, let me just tell you this. It's 420 BC, and the people who are about to hear this prophecy are about to hear the last words of the prophet for 400 years. There would be nothing after this, after these words that I'm reading to you right now. These six verses from Malachi chapter 4 are the last words. You've got to get this. It's really important. The last words before we hear about Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. In fact, folks, if you turn the page from Malachi chapter 4, you turn the page, you come immediately to Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. And what are the words in Matthew 1 and following, this, these are the descendants of the Messiah of Jesus Christ. Really important to understand that. Okay, so here we go. We're looking at Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. The Lord of heaven's armies says, the day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw, they will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. Merry Christmas. Now, you'll know I added that. That's not in the te original text. You say, Pastor Allen, this is a, these are very, very heavy words. Can we just lighten it up a little bit? It's Christmas. Verse 2. But for you who fear my name, 
The son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go free, leaping with, the, with joy like calves let out to pasture. I want you to, to, to picture for me a person that has been newly converted, just been saved, you've just heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, you've asked God to forgive you of your sins, and, and this verse, Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, describes somebody who has been converted. You will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Remember, to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all of Israel. Now, can you just look at me for a moment? Malachi is talking about a coming judgment. The judgment is coming. But then he says in verse 5 and 6, before all this is going to happen, look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. This description of the hearts of fathers being turned to their children and vice versa, the hearts of the children being turned to their fathers is, is, the, is a picture of people who are living under the, the covenant of God, of people who are living according to the laws of God, of people who love their children and whose children love the Father, where authority is not, is not uh, rejected, but authority is embraced as a gift from God. It's a beautiful picture. Who is this prophet Elijah that Malachi is talking about? Well, Jesus Christ himself, himself answers that question. We find in Matthew chapter 11, verses 13 to 14, Jesus says, For before John came, all the prophets and the law of Moses looked forward to the present time. All the prophets were looking forward to the time that Jesus would come. And if you're willing to accept what I say, Jesus says, he is Elijah, the one the prophet said would come. This morning, we're looking at the prophet, the Christmas prophet, if you want to call it that. You won't see a decoration on your Christmas tree or in the, in the stores of John the Baptist. And yet, John the Baptist is a critical character in the Christmas narrative. Three weeks ago, we talked about the Messiah. Last week, we talked about the, vir uh, we talked about the, uh, the, the virgin. Today, we're talking about the prophet. His name is John. Now, the gospel writers, they want us to understand the magnitude of this great event. We see in, in Matthew, we see in, in Mark, Luke, and John, all referencing John the Baptist. John's arrival signals the coming of the Messiah. You need to understand that. The coming of John the Baptist, the birth of John the Baptist, the beginning of his ministry, it signals that Messiah has come. So let's go back to Malachi chapter 3. We looked at chapter 4. We'll look at chapter 3 and verse 1. And here's what it says. Look. I'm sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Who is that messenger? It's John the Baptist or Elijah. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. Who is this messenger? Well, it's the Lord Jesus himself, the messenger of the covenant. Now, can I just stop everybody for a moment? You've heard of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Another term for testament is, in fact, covenant, the old covenant and the new covenant. We read here in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, that Jesus Christ is coming with this new covenant. Last week, we took communion. We said that the blood of Jesus was the new covenant in his blood. 
And you're going to find out in a moment exactly what that means. Jesus himself is bringing this new covenant. This is the one you so eagerly are looking for. Surely he's coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Folks, I want you to see now the great significance. I want you to see the magnitude of this great event. The one that Israel has been waiting for for hundreds of years is now about to appear. But John the Baptist is the one who goes before him. Now, you'll notice um, in this next verse, Mark is actually quoting the very verses that we just read from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and he also quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. And in case you are more familiar with the King James Version of that, let me just quickly read verse 3 for you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. If you've ever heard Handel's Messiah, you know that in, there's an aria that sings that, those words over and over again. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. I would sing it for you, but I wouldn't want to clear out the house. So here we have, we have John the Baptist who goes before Jesus preparing the way. Now, can we just stop for a moment? I need to point something out to you. It's very important. These words here that Mark is quoting, Malachi 3.1, are prophesied 400 years before Jesus arrives. Did you get that? Anybody who thinks that Christianity was an accident, that Jesus being the Messiah was a coincidence, that it just was a freak of history, a freak accident in history. I want you to know there's nothing accidental or coincidental about what happens in God's plan for bringing salvation to the world. And there's no other religion like Christianity that talks about salvation in this way. And then we get to Isaiah 40, verse 3. Again, Isaiah is looking into the future when John the Baptist will come. He wrote this 700 years before Jesus was born. 400 years, 700 years. All talking about the coming of John the Baptist, the one who will prepare the way of the Lord. Now, what does it mean to prepare the way of the Lord? Some of you are wondering now, well, exactly what, what did he do? What, what, was, he the, was he the front man you went before? Was he the opening act? Well, in a sense, maybe he was the opening act, but that, that, no way does that clearly uh, lead us to understand what's going on. He comes before Christ preaching a message of repentance. Matthew 3, 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Why repent? Why should I repent? In case you don't know what repentance is, I'm going to explain it to you yet one more time. Everybody okay with that? So when you are, are, are not serving God, when you're not following God, when you're not obeying God, you are walking in your own direction. You're walking, essentially, you're walking away from God. You're walking your way. But when you repent, this is what repent means. It means you're doing a, a, an about face, 180 degrees. Now you are walking towards God. You are following God. You discover that, that this is the way to live. This is the way to live your life. This is the way to walk in this world. This is why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's a way that leads to God. It's a way that is living so that you're pleasing God and doing things God's way. This is why, uh, why we read in that chapter, chapter 4 of Malachi, that we should uh, remember the law and, uh, of Moses, obeying it. This is what it means to be a follower of God. It means that we want to please God. We want to do things God's way. And what is the Old Testament but the revelation of God showing us what God demands, what God wants of us? So John comes along. He's preaching repentance. 
And he's preaching repentance because why? Because we're sinners. Because rather than doing things God's way, we want to do things our way. I don't want to follow God. I don't want to do what God wants. I want to do what I want to do. But John says, you have to repent. And if you don't repent, judgment is coming. There is judgment coming. Does everybody hear that today? Judgment is coming. Merry Christmas. You're not going to hear anybody say that this Christmas. When you go to Walmart and they greet you, they're not going to say, judgment is coming. Merry Christmas. Is that what you're going to say to your neighbors, is it? And yet, essentially, that is what the text is telling us. This is what Christmas is about. It's a celebration of the coming of the Messiah, but it's also heralding the coming judgment, the judgment of God. And all who are going their way, all those who will not repent, are heading towards judgment. You just didn't know that that was the direction that you were going. If you are going your way, then you're heading towards judgment. When you repent, you are leaving the judgment behind, and you're going towards God and his will and his plan. This is why John the Baptist came. He came to prepare the way of the Lord, to teach people what it is to turn from their sins, but not just turning from their sins, turning from the coming judgment to God. Now, here's what a lot of people don't understand. The coming of Christ always signals the coming of judgment. Did you know that? No, because when we, when we sing the Christmas carols, we sing peace on earth and goodwill towards all men. But what you don't understand is there is no peace for anyone who does not repent of their sin. The coming of Christ always signals the coming of judgment. The first coming of Christ signaled the coming of judgment. And we see the judgment come upon Israel in A.D. 70. Everybody remembers that? A.D. 70? And we saw the fall of Israel, the fall of Jerusalem. We saw the temple destroyed. Jesus, in one of his, his preaching spells, talks about how the temple would be destroyed and he would rebuild it in three days. And the, and the, and the teachers of the law and everybody said, he's out of his mind. What does he mean? What could this possibly mean? I'll tell you what it means, folks. It means that after Jesus would lay down his life, after Jesus would die on the cross, after Jesus would take away our sin, there would be no need for sacrifices ever again. The temple was destroyed in A.D. 70 because it's not needed anymore. Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ is the sacrifice once and for all. Jesus Christ is the Sacrifice once and for all. We don't need sacrifices anymore. And so the first coming of Jesus Christ, there was a grace period where people could repent of their sin, turn to God, but the judgment is coming, and it comes in AD 70, and all of Israel is dispersed throughout the world. Now, the thing about this prophecy, people, is what we call a dual prophecy. That is, is, it has a present fulfillment, and it has a future fulfillment. The present fulfillment was A.D. 70, and the future fulfillment will be when Jesus Christ comes the second time. How many know that we're getting close to the second coming of Jesus Christ? Do you ever, everybody understands that. We're, we're getting close now. Would you agree with that? We're getting close now. And the second coming of Christ, again, will herald the coming judgment. So John says, you better repent. We know that we're coming to the end of times, and I haven't got time to get into a, a sermon on eschatology this morning, but we know that certain things have happened that are signaling the second coming of Christ. 
And so you better repent. This is what John is saying back 2,000 years ago, and now we're saying it again. You better repent. Judgment is at hand. Merry Christmas. So I want to put up that verse to, uh, again, uh, those two verses, Malachi 4, 5 to 6. Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. In Luke 1, we hear of the, the birth of John the Baptist. It's really quite an interesting story. John, John the Baptist's father, his name is Zechariah. His mother is Elizabeth. Zechariah is, is one of the priests that does his duty in the temple. He's, there's a division. There's different divisions of priests, and it was Zechariah's turn to be on duty. While he is going about his business, doing what priests do in the temple, suddenly an angel appears to Zechariah. And Zechariah is absolutely terror-stricken. He falls on his face. He's absolutely filled with terror. Is this it? He's going to die? Did he do something wrong? But what he doesn't know is that it's, it's that angel we all know, and his name is Gabriel. We talked about him last week, didn't he? Gabriel appeared to Mary. Gabriel appeared to Joseph. This is why Joseph was willing to marry a girl that was pregnant, because the angel supernaturally appeared to him and said, Joseph, don't panic. It's Everything's okay. Your wife, the woman that you are betrothed to, the woman you're going to marry, has within her, growing in her womb, the coming Messiah. His name will be Jesus. What does Jesus mean? Yah saves. What is Yah? Yah is, another, is Jewish for God. God saves. That's what Jesus means. God saves. Now, I can, I can promise you, Joseph, being a man of the Middle East, there's no way on earth that he would marry a woman who had sex with another man. He needed to have an angel come to him and tell him, Joseph, don't worry, don't panic. This is of God. And I, if you haven't listened to the message from last week, I would advise you to go and listen to it. You need to understand the theological significance of the virgin birth. You need to understand that. We said last week that if Jesus was not born of a virgin, if Jesus, if Jesus was born of a human man and a human woman, then he would have had the sin nature. Very important that you understand that. You need to go listen to that message. So here's the angel appearing to Zechariah, and he says to Zechariah, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Now, I want, you, I want you to just keep this in mind. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. I'm sending you the prophet Elijah. Watch now what the angel says to Zechariah. And he will turn, verse 16 of Luke chapter 1, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them, before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people who are prepared. John the Baptist's birth was miraculous, not in the sense that Jesus' birth was miraculous, but in the sense that Abraham and Sarah gave birth to Isaac in their old age. They were so old that when they heard the news that they were going to have a baby, they laughed. Sarah laughed and said, yeah, that's a good one. Tell me another one, God. How many know that God is the God of the impossible, that nothing is too difficult for the Lord? And Zechariah was no different than Sarah and Abraham. And he says... Verse 18, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife's 
is advanced in years. Notice what a wise man he was. He didn't say she's an old lady. <laughs> he said she's advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. Come on. There's an angel standing before you. You're doubting me? You're questioning me? When's the last time you, you had an angel speaking to you? Come on, Zachariah, get with it. Gabriel, Gabriel says, I am standing in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words. And so suddenly, Zechariah can't talk. And he's, a, he's, he's in there busy, and, and people are wondering, well, where's Zechariah? How come he hasn't come out of the temple yet? What's, what's he doing in there? Well, let me fast forward. John is born, and it says, verse 59, and on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zachariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, 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 no. Don't call him Zachariah. No. He shall be called John. And they said to her, Elizabeth, none of your relatives is called John. And then they, they thought, well, stupid woman. We'll talk to the husband. And they made signs to his father. What's his name going to be? And Zechariah, not being able to speak, he said, give me a writing tablet. And he wrote on the tablet, his name is John. And the Bible says that at that moment, his, his mouth was immediately open and his tongue was loosed and he spoke and he blessed God. Why not Zechariah? Well, I'll tell you, this is going to blow your mind. Jesus means Yah saves. You know, you know what John means? Yohanin? It means Yah is gracious. Just think about that for a moment. Yah saves. Jesus is Yah saves. John means Yah is gracious. Does this trigger a memory of anything you've read in the scripture before? Let me, let me remind you of what Paul says to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Salvation comes to us through Jesus Christ. But folks, it's by the grace of God. It's nothing that you do. You cannot earn God's favor. You can never be good enough. Nothing that you do is going to bring you God's favor. It's God's grace. It is God's grace, his kindness to you, that makes it possible for you to receive Jesus. You need John. You need the grace of God before you have Jesus, the salvation of God. If you're sitting here today thinking that, oh, I just have to be good enough. If I just get the rules right, if I just, if I just get this right, then I can be a good Christian. Folks, forget it. You'll never do it. You'll never be good enough. You'll never overcome your sin. You'll never overcome your addictions. You'll never overcome the, th the things that bog you down spiritually. You need the grace of God. And so what you need to do is you've got to repent of your self-centeredness, of your self-effort, of your own will, and turn to God. You need the grace of God. Your ability, your works, your strength is not enough to bring you the salvation of God. Someone say hallelujah. You need the grace of God. And before Yah saves, Yah is gracious to us. That's what you and I need. And then we read in verse 65, and fear came on all their neighbors after all this happened. Everybody who heard about what God had done for Zechariah and Elizabeth, this, this spread like wildfire. Everybody knew about this. Everybody was listening. Every, did you hear what happened? Did you hear what happened to Elizabeth and Zechariah? Do you know how old she is? Look at her. She's, she's the age of a grandmother. And yet she's given birth to a baby. 
And it says in, in verse 66, and all who heard them, or heard about what happened, laid up these things in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord is with them. What is happening, folks, is that even in John's birth, he was preparing the way for the coming of the Messiah. His birth, his miraculous birth, was signaling to everybody throughout the land that God was about to do something magnificent. Remember, it's been 400 years since they last heard from a prophet, and suddenly things are beginning to move in the spiritual realm. God is starting to do amazing things. God is showing up. Angels are appearing. And John is born to do the work of the great Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. You cannot talk about Christmas and leave out the message of God's judgment. It's no wonder that although we call the season Christ Mass, Nobody wants to talk about Jesus. We'll talk about Frosty the Snowman, even the Abominable Snowman, and even the Christmas Flamingo. I mean, how crazy is that? We'll talk about anything, but don't talk about Jesus. Why? Because with Jesus comes judgment, the judgment of God. Pastor Allen, why? Why? If God is so loving, I'll tell you why. Because God warned Adam and Eve In the Garden of Eden, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day that you eat of that fruit, you will experience my wrath, my judgment. You will die. You will be dismissed from my presence. Our relationship will be broken. This message of judgment is not something new, my friends. The message of judgment was given to us before Adam and Eve even sinned. People say, Pastor John, do we have to talk about judgment? It's such a heavy subject. Can we talk about, say something to make me feel good? I'm going to tell you something that will not just make you feel good. I'm going to tell you something that will give you eternal life. You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ to avoid the judgment that is to come. You say, where's God's love? I'll tell you where God's love is. God's love is given to us in the person of Jesus Christ who becomes the covering, the protection against the wrath of God. This is why we put our faith in Jesus. When you put your faith in Christ, you are safe. You're under his protection now. You are protected against the wrath of God. But understand this, my friends. Jesus Christ is God's gift to us. It's the expression of his love. It's the way that we are free of the judgment of God. Judgment comes on all people. The question is, is how can we be free? And my friends, that is why God has sent Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord appears. So John's mission, my friends, is threefold. People are coming from everywhere to hear John. Remember, they, they first heard about him as a, in his birth. And suddenly they hear, hey, did you hear? The, did you hear? John's out in the wilderness. And I'm telling you, you wouldn't believe how he's dressed. He's dressed in clothes made from camel's hair. That is like the cheapest, 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 most garbagiest, I'm making up a word there, most garbagiest material you ever saw. Why? Because he doesn't care about the things of this world. He doesn't care about showing off. He doesn't care what he looks like. He's got one job and one job only, and that's to preach the message of repentance because of the coming of God's wrath. And he's eating locusts. And honey, anybody want to sign up for a church or a Christmas potluck with locusts and honey? 
is John the Baptist. He's got one, one job to do, and that's to preach a message of repentance. All these poor Jewish people had were the corrupt religious officials. Jesus himself called the religious officials, he called them a brood of snakes. But John comes along, and he's preaching, and he doesn't care whose feelings he's hurting because he's a prophet. That's his number one job. He's a prophet. He's come. Luke 3, 7 to 17, he's come to warn of the wrath of God that is to come. Hey, you know, we want to bring God down to our size, don't we? We, we don't want that great great God of the sky. We want to bring him down to our level. We want to talk about him. He's, he's my buddy. He's my pal. As soon as I hear somebody say, here's how I see God. That's the moment, my friends, you are drifting into idolatry. You're coming up with your own version of God. You can't do that. Nobody here has a right to come up with their own version of God. You cannot change the scriptures and make it say what you want it to say. You can't change who God is, just by simply saying, well, he's my buddy, he's my pal, he's my friend, he's like my grandpa. Oh, he's just, he's just kind, and he overlooks my problems, and he's just so sweet, and, and I could just crawl up into his lap. You don't want to crawl up into the lap of the God who calls himself a consuming fire. This is who the God that we worship is, the God of the universe that we, know, we don't know very well. This is a God who has promised his wrath on all who disobey. Well, what do we find John doing as a prophet? Well, he, he has all these people coming from all over the place, coming into the wilderness. Remember, there's no, there's no nearby McDonald's that you can go to. He doesn't have a meeting in a massive stadium where there's toilets for everybody, and there's, there's, a, there's a concession stand. You can buy your hot dogs, and you can, you can make yourself not, nothing like this. This is in the wilderness. It's raw. There's no toilets. There's no nothing. There's no food. But they're coming to hear a man who is going to tell them the truth. And when you come to church across church, you know that your pastor here is going to tell you not what you want to hear, but you're going to hear the truth. Judgment is coming, John says. And he, you, know what he says, you know what he says to all the people who've come from all over? They've traveled all this distance. And you would think, John, you would have a little bit of sensitivity. Be nice to these people. But he says, you are all a brood of snakes. Well, thank you very much, John. Thanks for the insult. But here's the thing. People don't get up and leave. You know why? Because everybody knows in their heart that John is speaking the truth, that I am a snake, that I am evil, that I am a sinner, that I do need God's forgiveness and grace. John, show us the way. Show me how I can find eternal life. Show me how I can be free of my sin. And John says, well, it's easy. Repent. You're going that way towards judgment. Turn away from judgment and run to God. And you run to God through Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if that were not enough, John decides he's going to attack and insult the king. Herod, you wicked man, you're committing adultery with your brother's wife. Now, Herod was actually quite intrigued by John and liked to hear John preach until John had the audacity to tell Herod the truth. And so what does he do? He locks John up. The next thing you know, John has lost his head, but not yet. John says in verse 9, the axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And all of a sudden, everybody's sitting there, John, tell us what to do, tell us what to do, please. They know that their, their lives are on the line. They know that they're going to face judgment. They know they're going to face hell. They know that they don't deserve heaven. They know, John, tell us what to do. John says, repent. Turn away from your old life and turn to Christ. Turn to God. Turn to the one that can save you and set you free. Turn to the one who can free you and protect you 
from the coming judgment. And this is why we call Jesus a propitiatory covering. He covers us. He protects us from the wrath of God. John says, repent. And they said, well, what should we do? Jesus says, well, begin by sharing with others. The tax collector said, well, what should we do? John says, be honest. Only be fair. The soldier said, what should we do? And John says, don't extort money from people and be kind to people. You see, what we're doing here is we're seeing the people turning away from their own selfish desires, their own selfish ways, and turning back to God and doing things God's way. By the way, you might call this social justice, but I have to tell you something, my friends. The difference between the social justice of our society and the justice that we find in Scripture is what we call the difference between the indicative and the imperative. The imperative is you have to be kind to others. You need to take care of the broken, the hurting, the needy, the, the, the widow and the orphan. But before you talk about the imperative, you've got to talk about the indicative. What is it that God wants us to know? God wants to know that you are a sinner and that you are bound for hell. Merry Christmas. The reaction to the message, the gospel message is that you turn and you start living as God has called you to live. But folks, you are never going to do what God wants you to do unless first you understand that you need Jesus. You need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the hearts that have been transformed by the gospel is the heart then that will live as God wants you to live. But you're not going to hear that from the social justice preachers. See, that's the real need of the hour. The real need of the hour is that we need to commit our lives to Jesus Christ. That's the great need. Well, John is not just a prophet, my friends. He is also a baptizing gospel preacher. You'll notice I didn't say a Baptist preacher. <laughs> he is a baptizing gospel preacher. What is he doing? Well, in Luke 3, 3, it says, And he went into the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The gospel is this, my friends, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, but he was also resurrected, so that when you die, if you put your faith in Christ, you too will be resurrected and live for eternity. But before you get the good news, you had to hear the bad news, and it's you've got to repent because you're a sinner. That's what good gospel preaching is. That is what cross churches, we preach the gospel. We tell you that you need Jesus, that that's the reason why you got problems in your marriage. That's the reason why you got problems with your kids. That's the reason you got problems at work. That's the reason you got problems with your health. That's the reason you got problems, period. You need to repent and you need to begin to obey Christ and live as Christ has called you to live. And the good news is that Jesus Christ, when you put your faith in him, will save you for eternity and give you that protective covering against the wrath of God, against the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Wow. And these people, man, they're ready to get baptized. They're, willing, they're ready to, to be totally dipped they're not sprinkled, folks. Baptism means baptizo. They're, these people were totally put under and brought up out of the water. What? For the, it was a ritual cleansing. They called that the mikvah. They understand that they need to be cleansed. They need to be made pure. But folks, being baptized in water, that does not save you. It's simply symbolic. It's a public declaration that you... Believe and know that you are a sinner, that you need Jesus Christ, that you need to repent, that you deserve eternal punishment. When you're baptized, you're saying, but Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ, but Jesus. Jesus saves me. Jesus sets me free. Jesus purifies me. Folks, this gospel business is a serious business. It says in verse 15, as the people were in expectation, all were questioning in their hearts concerning John. Is he the Christ? Is this John, is he the one that is the Christ, the one that is to come? Remember, they all know that the Messiah is going to come. They're just not quite clear. Is John the Messiah? 
John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to undie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And watch this, verse 17 of Luke 1. Gospel is serious business. Gospel preaching is serious, very serious business. John says, God's winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff will be burnt with unquenchable fire. What's, what's John saying there? Well, we who grew up in the city, we, don't have, we haven't got a clue about harvest. We haven't got a clue about wheat. We haven't got a clue about this stuff. And I just barely have a clue, but I've done my homework. I know what I'm talking about. The winnowing fork was the was way that this, the, the farmers would separate the wheat kernels that would be ground up and made into bread. They would separate the wheat kernels from all the straw and the chaff, the parts that were useless. John is saying that that's exactly what is happening as he's preaching. Folks, whenever the gospel is preached, God has his winnowing fork, and he's separating the wheat from the chaff. I had a friend that I went to Bible school with. He said, church should be fun. It should be a fun thing. When you come to church, you should be laughing and have fun. Are you kidding me? When God has got his winnowing fork in place, and he's separating those who will perish from those who will have eternal life. Is this fun time? It's not play time. This is serious stuff, my friends. And even now, this very moment, as I speak, God has his winnowing fork in place. And some of you this morning are recognizing that you need to surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And others are sitting here this morning, and you're saying, no, no, no. God has his winnowing fork in his hand right now as I speak. And he's separating the wheat from the chaff. I wonder which, which are you? Which, which category do you fit into this morning? It's not playtime, people. It's a serious business. God is doing his separating work. Some are being saved this morning and some are perishing. Some are on their way to judgment and some, the, your eyes have been opened, and you see the light, you see the truth, and you recognize that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and you are running to him because Jesus has a way of salvation. Oh, no, the preaching of the gospel is no joke. It's serious stuff. But I want you to know today there's a God who loves you dearly. How can you talk, Pastor, about the wrath of God and the love of God? Well, listen, God told us before it all began what, the, what would bring the wrath of God, and that would be disobedience and sin and turning to your own ways. But the love of God says, I'm giving you a way out. Like Noah's Ark, the rain is coming, but there is a way out. You can get on the ark by putting your faith in God. You can escape the judgment that's to come. That's the kind of God we serve. And John is here to say, the Messiah has come. The Messiah has come. It's time to repent. It's time to put your faith in God. It's time for you to surrender your life to the Lord. You know, we don't like to talk about judgment. We don't like to talk about hell. And some of you may be inwardly cringing whenever I speak about judgment or hell, but I'll tell you what you should be cringing about. You should be cringing when the pastor doesn't talk about the judgment that is to come. John is a, a gospel preacher. He's a prophet, but most of all, he's an evangelist. And when Jesus Christ came to the place where John was baptizing, here is what John said. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. My friends, I want you to know today there is a way of escape. There is a way that you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt 
You can know for sure. You can know that you know that you know that when you die, you're going to heaven. It's by putting your faith in the Lamb of God. In the Old Testament, they sacrificed animals to, take away, to cover people. It was literally a covering to cover people from their sins. But now we have a Lamb who not only takes away our sin, but watch this. He died and he rose from the dead. And that's the guarantee that if you put your faith in Christ, you too will rise again. Because the judgment of God, the wrath of God, was on those who were disobedient. Jesus Christ was never disobedient. He was always obedient. And so when they tried to kill him, the grave couldn't keep him down. The grave could not hold him because he was innocent. And he rose again. And all who put their faith in Jesus Christ, God declares you innocent as though you'd never sinned. This morning, have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you... Have you Receive the Christ so that God would declare you innocent. That's the power of the Lamb of God. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for sending us the Lamb of God. God, there are so, so many, so many proofs in the Scripture that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. There's so many proofs that, that declare beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is our Messiah. He is the one who takes away the sins of the world. He is the Lamb of God. And I pray this morning that there would not be one person in this place that would face judgment, that would face an eternity without Christ. I pray this morning that everybody here would gather with me someday before the throne of God. Sins cleansed, sins washed away, resurrected from the dead to live for eternity with Christ. I pray that for every person under, under, the, under the preaching of the word this day. Father, if there are any here this morning who are not sure, may this be the day where they make things right, where they confess their sin. And the Bible tells us that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So we thank you for Jesus. And we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Nate, this morning before you go, tell the person beside you, the judgment is coming. Merry Christmas.